Welcome to uh, Pools Gold Variety Hour, I think is the name that we, we settled on. That is indeed the name. This hour is going to have Pools. It's going to have Gold. It's going to have Variety. It's all in the name. And these are very uh, low bars for us to clear. So it's not like false advertising or anything. Uh, I'm Zach. Oh, and I'm Tom. And it's important in goal setting to set goals that are attainable. Yes. Uh, Fool's Gold for Variety Hour. Uh, the Fool's and Fool's Gold needs to just be clear. We know absolutely nothing uh, about what we're talking about. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tom. You wanted to talk about me? It's, Tom, it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's right, Tom. It's Comic-Con week here on Fool's Gold Variety Hour. Tom's favorite time of the year where he gets to be disappointed by every single thing I tell him. I have had a habit of often texting Tom inane details to whatever person got cast in a Marvel movie recently um, or other similar things. So I, Tom, would love to hit you with some just completely useless information regarding uh, John Wick 4, uh, animated series on Disney plus and uh, Dwayne Johnson's black Adam. Let me. Yeah, I think I, yeah, yeah, I like this. I also like how I can spin this into if you had told me a week ago, Hey, Comic-Con, what are you hoping for? And I told you, I could conservatively say my 10 biggest hopes. I'm willing to wager. None of them were mentioned at Comic-Con this year. Okay, well, the day is still ongoing. It is it is Saturday, the 23rd, as we're recording this. The DC Movies panel has finished to very little aplomb. They did not have much to show. The Disney Plus animation panel has finished. That was yesterday. The Marvel Studios uh, film and TV panel will happen after our recording session. So maybe we'll do a part two in the next episode. What are give me give me a little taste, Tom, about what you were what you were what you were hoping for. Okay, so at this Comic Con, were we given any information whatsoever about anything in the Reeves Batman verse updates on the Penguin show, Batman Two, anything? Just some updates on Paul Dano's Riddler comic book. Okay, see that he's right. Immediately, not a fan. Were we given anything, any footage, any anything of Batgirl? No, that's coming out in December, right? No, I think it got pushed back. Oh, okay. Anything for Blue Beetle? Blue Beetle was trending an hour ago. I don't believe that they showed anything, but I think people were hoping that Blue Beetle, they would show some stuff and they were disappointed when they didn't. Yeah, of course they were disappointed. I mean, anything for any announcements of what is happening with the DC Universe next, other than I saw Jim Lee, Hero of the People. <laughs> Say that we need it. Yay, Jim Lee. That everyone needs to chill about Zack Snyder because it's not happening. No, uh, really, the only thing DC had to show for um, movie-wise was Shazam 2 and Black Adam, or specifically just the two movies that are coming out this year. Yeah, and, and not even Aquaman, right? No, Aquaman got pushed to March, I believe. Oh, wow, they are just pushing everything, huh? Yeah. Um, new footage for Black Adam? Or just just like a short, a short teaser for Black Adam. Uh, the Rock took the stage in Hall H uh, in full Black Adam costume. 
I want to talk about how The Rock markets Black Adam. Yeah. Because I think something about it just doesn't click for me. Uh, for those who don't know, Black Adam is a DC supervillain. He's kind of like evil Shazam. And The Rock has been trying to get a movie made about Black Adam for at least 10 years. And it's finally happening. It's supposed to be out by the end of the year. And I think it the thing about Black Adam, and especially Black Adam coming out this year, is that it directly clashes with the persona that The Rock has tried to create for himself recently. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like The Rock is like The Rock and like a lot of sort of action hero actors or like um it's it's a specific breed of people who want to be action heroes, they want to be comedians, and they want to be entrepreneurs. So it's like um Ryan Reynolds is definitely part of that. Uh Kevin Hart's a little bit part of that. Maybe not so much action, but he's been doing a lot of action stuff recently. And The Rock is also doing that. And so The Rock has banked at least the last three years of his movie career on being every character he plays is The Rock. Yeah. Every character is this charming, huge dude with a lot of charisma, a lot of screen presence. And he's usually, he might be a little cynical or he might be a little like, um, uh, maybe sarcastic, but he's likable. And Black Adam is a immortal superpowered warlord who judging by the trailers is always scowling. Yeah. And like punches Hawkman a lot. And that seems the opposite of what Dwayne Johnson really wants to market himself as. Yeah. Well, and part of it is like, are they going to make black Adam an anti-hero or like some like redeemable, like, are we going to have to cheer for black Adam? Because that that's odd. Um, yeah. Uh, secondly, it's especially with what I've read, The Rock keeps calling him an anti-hero. Yeah, which is which is a weird move, but it makes sense if The Rock wants to keep that image. Um, but secondly, like, if it ends with like, but Black Adam is like right, it's that's a mess. Props, I mean, yeah. props to the movie for having the Justice Society. That's amazing. Uh, I will say. It's a little like it's ambiguous if this movie is any way related to the anything that DC has put out in the last. Yeah. Like, I have no clue. Are we supposed to expect Zachary Levi to be in it? So um, at the Shazam panel, which I uh, I'm getting all of this secondhand mm -hmm. um, Shazam panel, Zach Levi was asked, I think, about connections to Black Adam. And he said it's still too early to really talk about that. Viola Davis as Amanda Waller ha is confirmed to appear in Black Adam. Okay. I read tonight. So that is a, a connection. Yeah. Um, and whenever The Rock uh, explains Black Adam in any sort of promotional material, he always compares him and contrasts him with Superman. So I think The Rock really would like to do a some sort of integration between Black Adam and Superman. Yeah, um, the problem with that, The Rock can't lose a fight on screen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There is a contractual thing um, in Hobbs and Shaw when he and Statham were making that movie together, for those who don't know, uh, that uh, both The Rock and Jason Statham's um, contract stipulated that 
uh, they can't lose fights to each other or they can't lose fights. I think fights can be like a, a draw. Yeah, it can be in, it can be inconclusive. But Idris Elba cannot punch the rock in the face and be victorious. Right. In Hobbs and Shaw. And so, yeah, that is a good that is a really good question as to how um, how they're going to handle Black Adam. I wonder if the, that contract stipulation is still part of Black Adam. I mean, who also I would just I don't know. I mean, I understand that none of it makes sense, which is kind of is fair for the comic universe of DC as well. But like, how is the Justice Society established and around in this movie when like presumably the Justice League and Suicide Squad were happening? Did they not be like, we should maybe pitch in? I know it's the classic like solo Marvel movie too. Like, why didn't the Avengers come help? But like, I mean, if you've got, if Hawkman's an established entity in this world. Well, if Dr. Fate is an established interest right, entity in this world. Right. Why, why did they not like, and uh, presumably have been for years, because I mean, Pierce Brosnan is older. Um, yeah. Like, where were they? Also, most disheartening thing about that Shazam 2 trailer. Have you seen it? Yeah, I just I just watched it. Is how hard it tries to establish itself as part of the DCEU that Jim Lee just said is dead. Well, not necessarily dead, but just won't. Like depend or lean back on that's that's Zack Snyder elements. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, I, I mean, I only saw Shazam the one time, but my recollection of it is that it wasn't, there was nothing to indicate that it was in the same universe as. No, no, there was, there was, because uh, his, his like foster brother, Billy's foster brother is like a big Justice League nerd in that movie. Uh-huh. And like, he has like a replica of like Ben Affleck's Batarang. Uh. And like at the end, um, a photo double of Henry Cavill arrives. Yeah, I do remember in, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the Man of Steel super suit. Okay, so. so like it's 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 like the the Snyder Whedon Justice League is happening in the far background of Shazam. Sure. Uh, what else did I say? I want to talk about. Oh, they, wait, um, wait. Before we leave the DC stuff, they didn't mention anything yeah. about the train wreck that is the Flash movie. No, they did not. I I did notice that they hid. Ezra Miller's face in those flashes to uh, Justice League in the Shazam 2 trailer. Yeah. All right. So, All right. Next. We'll see how we'll see how they handle that. Uh, oh, oh, also, I just saw this. There's an animated um, uh, a 3D animated DC cartoon called Bat Wheels. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. Um, in which it seems like uh, what if all of the vehicles in Batman uh, were like the cars from Cars? I, I mean, I respect it. I like so. What if? Uh, and apparently, Ethan Hawke is the voice of Batman. Perfect. That goes really well with Keanu being the voice of Batman and Super Pets in theaters next week. Ethan Hawke's such a cool guy because it really seems like he's just up for anything. Yeah. All right. Uh, further things: Disney Plus animation. Okay. Uh, there were th- four big things for that. A few of which we knew already, and we just got more information on. Let me find my notes here. This was at a panel yesterday. We already knew that Marvel What If was getting a season two. Mm-hmm. We already knew that they were reviving the 90s X-Men cartoon on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. We already knew that they were doing a 
young Spider-Man animated series that would or would not be canon to the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Right. The news is, uh, what if the Marvel Zombies episode is spinning off into its own show? Okay, I'm eh about that. What if just seems like they're just going to try to do more of what they did in season one? My thing on what if, I have not seen a fan base turn on a character from like awesome to we hate them. Like the Marvel fans have turned on Captain Carter. It's truly mind blowing to me how everyone was like, wow, put her in a movie. Wow, she's amazing. Put her. And then like she's in the movie and everyone's like, oh, there's another what if episode about her. Uh." I'm pretty I'm pretty agnostic on Captain Carter. Sure, 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 sure. And it does look like they're going more into Captain Carter in what if season two. They're they're going further with that character. It was weird because when. What if like started they were marketing the whole thing on captain carter mm-hmm. and they it really seemed like they assumed that fans would go crazy for it mm-hmm. almost as if captain carter was a pre-established character which to my knowledge she really wasn't um at least not to the not in the way that what if framed her yeah and so it's like look at captain carter you love captain carter most people captain carter's not a thing right. so I'm 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 kind of give or take on Captain Gardner. Um, the Spider-Man, young Spider-Man animated series called Spider-Man Freshman Year. I do not believe it is canon to the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies anymore. OK, it's it's his it's high school freshman. Yes, it's high school freshman year Okay. Uh, because they announced a supporting cast for it. Maybe not all the voice actors, but mm-hmm. um Charlie Cox is voicing Daredevil okay. in it, but this would be a Daredevil that Spider-Man would meet prior to meeting him in No Way Home. So that doesn't necessarily work with canon. Yeah, I mean, unless he meets Daredevil and not lawyer. Yeah. Norman and Harry Osborn are in it. Okay. Um, with Norman Osborn sort of filling the Tony Stark archetype. Okay. But Norman and Harry are drawn as and presumably voiced by uh African American actors. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I thought it looked cool. Um also, I believe what I read was Paul F. Tompkins will be in it. That is amazing. He should have more. I know work. you love PFT. I do. Um they've already confirmed a season two. Uh they're calling that one sophomore year. Makes sense. Uh there was another thing with as in Spider Man. Oh, and with Spider-Man, because I saw the X-Men thing. They're going to have Magneto lead the X-Men, which... Yes, because I believe at the end of the 90s X-Men series, Professor X goes to space for a reason I can't remember. Yeah. And so, like, Magneto steps up, apparently. I, just, I feel like all of this is just sort of mediocre sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, most it is it is a lot of mediocre stuff, but the, I think it's... Part of it, I think, is because D23 is really soon, and that's probably yeah. when Marvel's going to go ham. What's weird is that DC didn't, um, unless they're going to have their another like DC fandom thing. But like, that's not in any way as big as D23. I would I would say, honestly, this Comic-Con, like, sure, this Marvel thing that's upcoming still today probably will give us a trailer for Wakanda forever, maybe. Maybe give us some early casting for like an X-Men or Fantastic Four. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not holding my breath for that. Yeah, I don't know what they want to say for D23. But my like this was, as far as Comic-Cons go, like a down year, I feel like. Because the highlights. And it's like the first it's like the first year that they've done it 
in person in since COVID started too. So yeah, and and I mean the highlights were I mean that Dungeons and Dragons movie actually looks like a lot of fun. Um, I I I don't. Here's what I would hope that they do with the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and I'm not holding my breath for it. Mm-hmm. I want the Dungeons and Dragons movie to be in a vein similar to the Lego movie. Yeah. In which halfway through the movie, you realize that none of these characters are real and we cut to the real world. And it's just a group of like teenagers sitting around a table playing. Right. Dungeons we cut Dragons. to the Stranger Things kids, but they're not. It's not. They're not the Stranger Things kids is the thing, but it's the actors. And it's just like a funny little, but I know I fully, I think, I think that has to happen. Um, And then like in the back half of the movie, you can have funny jokes about bad roles. Yeah. And like that, that seems to set itself up so well, not only to advertise the Dungeons and Dragons game, Mm -hmm. which everybody's crazy about already. Mm -hmm. And so like that movie is, I don't think it's going to hurt D&D's reputation. Oh, I don't either. Especially with how well the Critical Role show did mm-hmm. earlier this year and like um, a bunch of stuff. And like the Stranger Things representation, like it's all D&D is blowing up. Yeah. And so, I mean, honestly, the Dungeons and Dragons and uh, the Lord of the Rings panel won the day. And I mean, even if Marvel releases a trailer for Wakanda Forever, I I am excited for Wakanda Forever. I really am. But I still am going to be like it didn't win the con. I don't know. I don't know what they're planning on doing. Uh, I feel like Comic-Con things, we're supposed to get a Sandman panel sometime today as well. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that goes. So, yeah. I mean, the only other things at this Comic-Con that were of of note were the fun little, like, like just very minor, not well watched project. Like, I mean, Archer having their panel and just having a, the time of their lives and being like, Daniel Craig wants to be in our show. And then Daniel Craig just appears on the Archer panel or like the Bob's. I did not hear about this. This is that's great. Yeah. And like Bob's burger, like, I mean, just like stuff like that, that like it's got its following. I mean, Archer, not a huge following anymore. Bob's burgers is pretty big. I mean, that stuff, they had a good time, but like the big, the big, uh, tent poles of Comic-Con kind of came out and swung and missed this year. I feel like it is. That is, also just because they have filled that Comic-Con hole for themselves, you know, like, yeah, like you said, like, uh, with D23 and fandom D23 and, yeah. and fandom and Netflix has their thing that they do three times a year. Yeah. And like, it's all like Comic-Con is, I don't know. I've never actually been in person to any sort of fan con event. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't sound like a great time to me. Mm hmm. Maybe I could see Bruce Campbell at one or like Giancarlo Esposito at one because Giancarlo Esposito does a lot of fan conventions. Yeah. Um, And that would be great. But like crowds and like big rooms filled with overstimulation does not sound like my my favorite, Mm -hmm. my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so like I I don't think I would go to one, but it seems like they're going. Comic-Cons are slowly sort of going maybe back to like their roots of just being a bunch of people who like specific things, just all meeting up in one place. Yeah. Well, and because I mean, for DC to have like won this comic con, I I think everyone kind of knew going in Marvel wasn't going to blow the roof off because D 23, I think is only like two weeks away. 
Let me check that. So like we everyone went in knowing Marvel was going to save a lot of their announcement stuff for a couple weeks. And I could be completely wrong. Maybe this episode will age terribly. And like maybe Comic-Con, you know, they come out tonight and Kevin Feige is like, here's our next four years of movies. Here's all the titles. Here's like a trailer for Wakanda Forever, a trailer for Loki season two, a trailer for blah, 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 blah. That, I mean, maybe that happens. But I, I feel like even going into Comic-Con, everyone's expectations on Marvel were really low. D23 is uh, the second weekend in September. So it's about a month okay. away. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They almost have. Mm, actually, they waited quite a while to release a Love and Thunder trailer. I I could go either way on them releasing a Wakanda Forever. Maybe a teaser at Comic-Con and then a full trailer at D23. But mm-hmm. yeah, like... I think that would be probably how it'll go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this episode will likely go live after. So sure. I mean, the listeners will know much better than we will. Um, But like, because I believe Wakanda Forever is in November. Mm -hmm. So you want at least a month, month and a half between big trailer drop and movie. Yeah. And usually Marvel does a teaser, big trailer, maybe second big trailer. Right. So and then like a ton of TV spots. Yeah. So really for DC to have won this, like to come out and be like, here's Shazam and Black Adam. I mean, maybe I'm in the minority, but like those are not the questions I had. Those are not really the like if DC had just come out and been like, here's Matt Reeves. He's going to give a comprehensive update on the shows and the Batman to give like not, but just like be like. I can confirm that Robin is in it or I can confirm like something like that. Don't even have to tell us the cast. Yeah. Yeah. So have Matt Reeves come out, then like have be like, here's footage of like a teaser of the Batgirl. Here's stuff for Aquaman here. Like they could have really just like they they definitely could have done more. And I know Marvel can, too, but like because I certain Marvel certainly has a like Kevin Feige probably is years ahead of us all. Um, they definitely are. Yeah. So, but like, I understand that cause like D 23 is so soon and like Marvel, Marvel doesn't have to like earn or win their fans anymore at this point. Uh, whereas I feel like DC actually does because of how many missteps they've had that like, if they had just come out swinging, it probably would have been better. And Marvel can, I mean, Marvel's proven they can just like tell you nothing and everyone will go and see it. Yeah. The, it's it's also weird that they aren't like with the DC missteps like they like you talked about. Some of them are missteps. Some of them are uh, obstacles that they've had to overcome. Others are just like complete, whether justified or not, complete like cultural turnaround regarding specific figures related to their movies. Yeah. So um, this you enlightened. You were the first I heard of. So Aquaman got pushed back. Is that because of cultural yeah, I don't know. It, it's very possible. Like I what I read um, and again, I'm going from my memory of what I read. So this might this may not be perfect information. I, I think I had read that Amber Heard's role was downsized in Aquaman 2. Sure. I don't I don't think she was fully cut. So I don't I don't know for sure. I know that they had already started filming Aquaman 2 in like October. So. I don't I don't know what that is. I also just don't know what Aquaman 2 is about. Like no one's 
than anything. We know it's about a lost kingdom. Yeah. And that's it. And then like all the Ezra Miller, Miller stuff like has put a huge question mark on the flash. And so maybe they don't have super great solutions or like public sort of information that they could give, but like maybe some information on that could have. Yeah. Could have been helpful for them at Comic-Con. Yeah. Or like even, and like, as you said, like talking about Batgirl or talking about um, Blue Beetle or the Matt Reeves Batman. Yeah. I just looked it up. Batgirl is still slated for a 2022 release. I don't think that's happening. I, I, yes, but as of now, DC and HBO Max are saying it'll come out in December. Hmm. I mean, again, could easily get pushed back, but. And then, yeah, Blue Beetle is a lot further out than I thought it was. That's like late 2023. I think they had just started Blue Beetle relatively recently. Yeah. We're talking a lot more about superhero movies than I think we were planning on talking about. So, yeah, Uh, speaking of that, I've got I've got a little segment for you. Uh, It's called um, Tom read two headlines this week related to pop culture. And I want to know which one you think is a stupider headline. All right. Hit me. All right. Headline one. Top Gun Maverick has Venom 2 to thank for its success. All right. I'm intrigued. I don't understand how that is, but I, that's what the, the article is for. Uh, I can explain the article if you want. Uh, let's do the other headline and we'll talk about both of them. Netflix has decided that it's looking for a hit franchise like Harry Potter or Star Wars okay. in order to have a more, like, uh, to have, a, have a better Q3 because... <laughs> They are yeah. just... They have not been doing great. Tanked. I mean, Stranger Things has helped them a bit, but most of this year, Netflix has not been doing super great. Mm-hmm. Um, partially out of their own making, partially just because their publicity model for some of their best stuff is trash. So Yeah, and they're just model of like... I mean, so like the CW, which just has like... I mean, you know what kind of content the CW TV show is making, yeah. but their business model was... We make shows to sell to Netflix or Hulu. Like, our, we're not actually making our money yeah. from the airing of the shows we create. They're, we get more money licensing this for streaming. Right. It's like we sell The Flash to Netflix, and that's where we make our money. Netflix is somehow is trying to have that business model, it seems like. I mean, they're not explicitly saying that but like the way they have a successful show and then just cancel it it's like this isn't a model that is sustainable for you and you seem to be very much in the quantity over quality category yeah but yeah so so they're they think um yeah they they, uh they think they're gonna break the mold and you know i don't know why they hadn't thought of it before but yeah let's build a successful franchise Back to Top Gun. Yes. I I expect this to prove me wrong, but I think the heat around Tom Cruise, and especially current day Tom Cruise, who uh, his entire persona and his entire movie output is essentially propaganda for himself. Sure. And people eat it up, rightly so, because it's often very good. Mm-hmm. Not always, but often very good. I liked Top Gun Maverick quite a bit. I, really didn't seem like the kind of movie I would be into, but it it hit all the it hit most of the boxes for me. And so um, so like especially after Mission Impossible, after um, just like the two year wait for Top Gun 
in which we had trailers like once a year because it was supposed to come out in summer 2020. And Tom Cruise was like, no, it needs to be in a theater. So when COVID hit, it got pushed to 2021. And then further out, like that extended sort of uh, promotional tour for them. Mm-hmm. I think it, it could have helped or hurt. And I think it did help them. Did it help them as much as Venom 2? Let there be I would love carnage. to know how Venom 2. I would love to let there be carnage. I would love to know how the carnage that was let be helped Top Gun Maverick. So the logic of the article yeah. is um, that Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, uh, was the first movie that, like, that was back to exclusively in theaters that was a commercial success. And that greenlit other studios mm-hmm. to release movies into theaters only. And it paved the way for Top Gun Maverick to have commercial success being released only in theaters. All because Venom 2 Let There Be Carnage decided to go for it. Shang-Chi and Black Widow came out before. Uh-huh. Like, just, and I'm not like saying they're like the movies that save cinema. I'm just saying that Marvel movies are often black, black financially Widow. successful. Yes. Black Widow though was um, like that whole thing, that whole uh, lawsuit with Scarlett Johansson, like cause black widow released on Disney plus. Oh, that's right. It did. So it was like a split release. So that one is out. I'm Shang Chi. Yeah. I mean, was that what that was prior to Venom two? Cause then uh, it was labor day. And I think Venom two was, mid-October. Yeah, then I mean, then the article should say how Legends of the Ten Rings paved the way for Maverick's success. Or we could just say because both of these headlines were stupid, like, obviously you want an amazing franchise on your hands, Netflix. Who doesn't? What studio would be like, oh yeah, we'd say no to that. And yeah, maybe Top Gun Maverick is just a really good movie, and whenever it came out, it would have been successful. And it's had very little to do with Venom or Legends of the Ten Rings. Yeah. So I'm just looking at movies that I'm like going through mm-hmm. the things that had come out prior to Top Gun that were successful. And like, uh, yeah, you got Shang-Chi. You have, I guess the Suicide Squad was probably on HBO Max at the time that it was released. Yeah, it was split release. Uh, as was Dune. Although Dune did do fairly well in theaters by my my memory. Yeah. I might be wrong. Not as good as it could have done, but... It did not do super poorly. I mean, No Time to Die got money, right? I mean, I don't know. They were sitting on that movie for so long that they actually may have lost money. That's true. They were they were sitting on No Time to Die um, for about as long as they were Top Gun. Yeah. So. And yeah, it, it cost them a lot to sit on that. It was like every month they were sitting on it, it was costing them more money. Yeah. And I know that they were... Um, like there were many offers made to MGM to get those streaming rights and they were not they were not having it. So, I mean, even Spider-Man came out. Yeah. Before Top Gun did. Right. Yeah. But and they're like, it made every money. But I mean, maybe historical precedent, the article writer would say that Let There Be Carnage was the reason for Spider-Man's success. No, it wasn't. It, it, I'm, I'm just gonna say, it was not the reason for Spider-Man's success. The reason for Spider-Man's success was uh, months of well-orchestrated, quote-unquote, leaks giving away the entire plot of the movie before the movie came out just to drum up fan interest. Yeah. 
Uh, my, that's my theory. Like, I, yeah. I do not think that it was just an accident that we knew in July of 2020 that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire would be back. Yeah. No, I agree. I So I just looked it up, and uh, No Time to Die's budget was $250 million. It cost $100 million to promote, and it cost $10 to $15 million per month of postponement, and it was postponed for 16 months. So it, Yeah, so probably not. It had to make... If my math, if my quick math is right, it had to make it like nine hundred million to break even. Yeah. So yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a big ask. It's a good movie. I really like No Time to Die. Yeah. Um. You know what else I really like? I, I, I was very happy when Billie Eilish won the Oscar for that. You know what else I really like? What do you really like, Tom? Here's what I like. This is a good little transition. Is yes. Silly kids movies with lots of CGI characters um, in live action world, because what I love about them is seeing how much the big name celebrity actor commits to the bit. What I mean is like Neil Patrick Harris doesn't want to deal with the Smurfs. He did, like he's not interested in being around them, and he's just like. I mean, he was in two Smurfs movies, right? But he's doing it for a paycheck, and you can you can kind of tell. Okay. Yeah. Like, sure. there's a difference between kind of Neil Patrick Harris and like James Madsen. Super wants to be yeah. with Sonic. I mean, James Marsden in the Ethan Hawke school of really up for anything. Two Sonic movies in which he is like putting in some of like the best non goofy james marston work yeah because i feel like james marston falls into two two camps mm -hmm. you've got enchanted 30 rock mm -hmm. there's definitely a couple other oh hairspray james marston in which he's like hamming it up a little bit mm -hmm. and like he's like playing to like the handsome airhead stereotype and then you've got like good guy james marston um which is like uh sonic and westworld and uh not not Cyclops and X-Men as much. Right. But like, uh, I mean, that's a bit of an outline. You mentioned Enchanted. Amy Adams is another one. She 100% wants to sing and dance with Muppets and 100% wants to be an Enchanted. Like, they just are having the time of their lives and just committing. Whereas there are other actors who are just like, like LeBron in Space Jam or like, not that LeBron's like a trained actor. Like, I get that. But like. It's yeah. clear that they are just there for money. Um, the thing about uh, LeBron is, and this is my personal opinion with Space Jam, mm -hmm. I don't like Space Jam, the, A New Legacy. Okay. It is. It did not. It was a commercial for Warner Brothers when Warner Brothers did not need one. Uh, and it kind of worked against itself because the entire like part of the movie where Don Cheadle is like, Hey, what if we were able to put this Warner Brothers thing with this thing? And LeBron's like, that's a terrible idea. And then it just was the rest of the movie. I do think LeBron is good in Space Jam when and only when he is voicing the cartoon version of himself. That's fair. Yeah, because part, part of the reason I like watching kids movies for the purpose of just seeing how much the actor is like. I mean, Sir Michael Caine in Muppet Christmas Carol is a different example of somebody who's like committing because it's like, he's clearly not having the time of his life, but he clearly is like all in on that performance. And it's not yeah, like he, like I, I had read and like heard in interviews that Michael Caine was 
like I am not going to phone this in. Mm -hmm. Like I understand that this is a goofy children's movie and I will be surrounded by puppets, but this is like maybe my only chance to play Scrooge. I'm going to play Scrooge the way I believe Scrooge should be played. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's a great movie. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And this is it really work. There's something about actors when you can watch something that they're doing and they are having the time of their lives and having so much fun in that role that is just enchanting. And like it just even if the movie isn't great, it's like clearly it's just so much fun to watch. So examples of like even not kids movies, Pedro Pascal in I mean, in a lot of things, but like Wonder Woman yeah. 1984 and uh, the Nick Cage one unbearable weight of massive talent he, he's having the time of his life yeah and clearly just loves and just hamming it up have you seen the community live stream where pedro pascal is there uh they're doing a live reading of the lie detector episode of community with the full cast i have not seen this it was during covid it was for a fundraiser and they were doing the the lie detector episode and they couldn't get Walton Goggins to come back. OK, which is a shame because Walton Goggins is a, a treasure. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been putting together a list of actors who fall into my hoot and holler hall of fame and uh, just actors that I just love to see on screen to the point in which they often elicit just a, a verbal reaction from me sure. whenever I see them. Sure. And Walton Goggins is in that list. Um but they couldn't get Walton Goggins to come back, so they got Pedro Pascal to do it. Perfect. And I think he had only scanned through the script a few times. And so there are some very, very funny jokes that I don't want to give away to anybody um, that Pedro Pascal really seemed to love doing and often could not like I like, could not read in a straight face. Like Walton Goggins in that episode is completely stone faced. Mm -hmm. Like he is he is completely serious. And Pedro Pascal tries his best to do that, but it's clear that he's having so much fun with it that he can't. Yeah, no, that is perfect. See, I just I love it when you can see somebody just loving their their job, basically. And like there, this this gets into even just like different styles of acting, because I feel like there's the British sort of um, like an Ian McKellen teaching people Shakespeare or even when he's Magneto, like just pouring over every word and like really clever and like thinking about how to enunciate and use each word to like and like just really. And I think I, I mean, again, who knows if I'm right about this, but I think the trend that you see is that like that British drama and like British television honors and prefers that. And then there are some people who can translate and do both like Ian McKellen or like Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I would I would say that Ian McKellen's Magneto is a little more inspired than Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. Um, yeah, I think the I think the characterization of Doctor Strange still isn't quite there yet. Yeah, I think Benedict Cumberbatch likes doing it, but he's not um, like the the writers have yet to really set Doctor Strange apart. Yeah. So so I think that's sort of like the British, like they really they like the craft of acting. And then, I mean, Bollywood is just I mean, if you watch anything Bollywood, it is always like just the spectacle of it is what it's all about. Just 
the dancing, the over the top action, the like, mm-hmm. it's just all about being, I mean, what is it? a triple threat is sing, dance and act in Bollywood. They have people who are like quintuple threats and are just like, yeah. and it's just all about larger than life spectacle. It's about an experience. This is why RRR, the Bollywood film, like RRR is not a Bollywood film. It's a little bit of a, a technical sort of thing. There are many film industries sure. in, in India. And so it's there. The actors in RRR are all, I think most of them are Bollywood actors, mm-hmm. but it's actually um, because of the language and geographical area in which it was produced. It's not technically a Bollywood film, okay, sure, but okay. it still has the same, a lot of the same trappings as a, as a Bollywood film would. Yeah. So, okay. Um, I guess, I guess Indian again, I could be completely wrong, but like my yeah. understanding of like what, and what Indian film is, is it's all about, spectacle which is which is great because like i think i mean in a world where everything everywhere all at once and the batman exists i think it's fair to say those are and people will disagree and that's fine people have opinions i think those are better movies than no opinions on this show right i'm drawing i'm drawing a hard line now no opinions on this show those are better movies than rrr but rrr is more fun to watch because like it's the same reason that your favorite book might be the Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, but do you have like fun reading it? Are you like, this is like, this is just really fun. Uh, like Les Mis, it's, it's not like it's a Having the time read. of my life reading these miserable Russian people. Right. Where So it's like, the reason I read comics is like, because it's fun. It's a different facet, yeah. but like, of course, yeah. the Brothers Karamazov is like a better book, but like, it's different. So I would, I would say RR is the most fun movie. It's like the... It all depends on how you want to define best. However, yeah, I want to talk about how it seems like American actors. So now that I've sort of diagnosed Indian British, it's more just about the celebrity of it and sort of like the the icon of it. Because like there are outliers like Tom Cruise, who like I mean again is clearly a celebrity, like facial, yeah, but, but like does his own stunts and like has a different way about making a film than so much of Hollywood now, which is kind of just like attach these actors to it, get mm-hmm. them on. They can read the lines ostensibly as good as, I mean, you and I could if we had a bunch of takes and lessons and like the right director. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, there's something about American film that it is. It's really just about the the stardom of it all, which I think is why so many people are tripping back into not tripping, but moving back into like TV. Cause they're like, I want to be able to like do my craft in some sense. Yeah. I don't think this is uniquely American. Um, because I think stardom is a thing everywhere. Like uh, we talked about RRR just a couple minutes ago. The main two actors in RRR are superstars in India. Sure. I, I think they are, they are incredibly wealthy, incredibly successful. They have on-screen personas that they act into. Yeah. I th- but what I'm saying is in some senses, they've earned it. Because they can dance, they can sing, they can do stunts, okay. they think, can. Okay. I'm seeing where you're coming. Whereas, from. like, and in, and in British film, it's like it's because they're really good at acting. Whereas in America, it's like you acting is is a 
almost like a trade in British culture. Yeah. And like even like acting training in Britain covers a wide a range of disciplines. Like Andrew Garfield in Tick Tick Boom can sing, not because he likes to sing, but because he was he had his voice trained in drama school just in case he would ever need to sing in anything. Right. Right. And it's like uh it's like how in British art and like theater it's why you see people like Tom Hiddleston and Benedict Cumberbatch like they all want to go and do Shakespeare like they they're like this is like this is what I want to do David Tennant like they like the Hollywood stuff too and they can do both well but it's like yeah it's it's their like craft whereas in Hollywood in America it seems like I mean I don't know if I would say Jennifer Aniston or like Chris Pratt or these big names are like I don't know if you're good at acting, but like you have just so much recognizability. And I think America used to be like India because those guys in RR, yes, they are superstars because they can sing, dance, et cetera. Take a movie like White Christmas or just any old movie, right? There are just yeah. long dance scenes because it was for the spectacle of it. Yeah, like and if you had... Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. Right. They had to put those in. Well, a lot of them also had some theatrical training too. Like they had to perform in in clubs or in on in plays or musicals or stuff like that. Like they, it wasn't necessarily as easy an onboarding process into movies and television back then. Even I mean, television barely had an onboarding process at all because it was such a nascent medium at the time. Yeah, and that, but like. It's why old getting into movies was not always the easiest thing. So you had to sort of build up a repertoire elsewhere. Yeah. Well, and it's why old movies, people will watch them and be like, oh, they're dumb or like the plot doesn't. And it's like, but that's not why people watched them. You watch it for the spectacle of it. Like you just yeah. like all the dancing, all the singing, the big, like crazy madness of like, it's, I don't know. And it's just interesting that American film is, I'm not saying that there's like no, good American actors who are good at acting. That's not true. But it seems like what American culture gravitates towards and um, awards, like what, what American consumers award is kind of just like facial recognitions. Take a guy like Brad Pitt, um, instantly recognizable with the right director. You're like, oh, he is really good at acting. And like, he's really good at his craft with the wrong director. It's like, uh, you're like, you're here to be Brad Pitt. You, you know what yeah. I mean? I think Brad Pitt wants to be like a character actor, like someone who has that sort of craft and that knowledge. Mm -hmm. But with like his persona, like the public conception perception, I guess, of Brad Pitt is that he is handsome leading man, which isn't what he wants to be. Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt wants to be the bearded hermit guy in big short. Yeah. Or Brad Pitt wants to be, uh, his, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood character who is handsome and charismatic, but he's got like a dark past and he has problems like relating to people. Yeah. I, I, like, those are the things Brad Pitt wants to do. I feel the same way I do about Brad Pitt as I do Leonardo DiCaprio, which is actually, again, with the right director and script, I'm like, oh, he actually is really good at acting. But there are times where I'm just like, you 
you're here to be the face of this movie and like you're not you're not bad like you're not you're not he's not bad at what he's doing but it is like a bunch of people could do as good of a job in this role yeah the fundamental difference i think you're trying to get at is that being an actor and being a movie star are not necessarily the same thing yes that's a good way of putting it and i think britain likes actors america likes movie stars and india likes I tries to bring the best of both right kind of likes yeah quintupled threats people who can do it all and they people like that should be awarded oh my word the Mm -hmm. it's incredible what they can do yeah uh go watch rrr it should be on netflix still uh the the dubbing is a bit weird on the netflix version but it's still a great time i got to see it in a theater tom didn't but uh it's fantastic we talked a little bit about movies and tv tom any other cultural things that we we should cover I remind you, no opinions on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Never. Never once have I had an opinion so far. We need a a variety in the show. uh, Yes, yes, yes. We're going to say we're a variety hour. We need to Um, cover a little bit more. Let's talk about the... There's three... Here's the three reasons, the most compelling reasons to me. This was not planned. This is off the cuff. Here is the three most compelling reasons people give and by people I mean that I give, for why we're actually living in a simulation. I'm not saying I think that, but I'm saying if I did, these would be the three reasons. Uh, Reason one, reason one, buses. My car is a big old Lincoln town car. Uh, I didn't know if you were still driving the Lincoln. You still driving the Lincoln? Still rocking the Lincoln. My Lincoln, it's pretty wide. Like, it's a boat. Um, It's like riding on a couch. It's huge. I parked it behind a bus the other day and got out of my car and i was like my car is approximately as wide as a bus like there is a couple inches on either side that the bus is a little it's a little bit wider it is not so much wider that spatially it makes sense to have an entire bench that could see two Toms or two Zacks, then an aisle that a Tom or a Zach could comfortably walk down without like ramming his hips against it. And then another bench for two Toms and two Zacks. It is not that much wider. And the fact that buses fit in a car lane as well as like pretty wide cars or even like, like it doesn't, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. So somewhere yeah, the spatial, the spatial like ratios of all of that don't seem to check out to you. Well, I mean, because they don't. And I, I had a conversation with somebody about this and they were like, well, different shapes have different volumes. And I'm like, that doesn't apply here because the width is what I'm after. And they were like, right. But a bus is like more like a liquid in like a tall glass or a short glass. And I'm like, first of all, Humans don't behave like liquid. Second of all, it's not about how many humans it can hold. It's about how they're being held. That doesn't make sense. So buses think argument two: bubbles. Bubbles don't make sense to me. Bubbles, bubbles don't work. So buses, somebody somewhere had to in the coding of the simulation be like, it is important for an immense amount of children or people to be able to get from one place to another in one thing. So just put that into the code. Um, Bubbles. We have 
solids, yes. liquids, gas. Yeah. Bubble. I remember that. I remember that from school. Right. We have no other states of being, to my knowledge, other than like vapor, but like that's still kind of vapor. Whatever fire is, whatever plasma sort of thing fire sure. is. But a bubble, my understanding is it's liquid around gas. Yes. And when you pour the bubble solution onto your hand, it flows off like a liquid. But when you have a bunch of bubbles on your hand, I could turn my hand upside down and I would have to shake a while and the bubbles would just jiggle and then eventually maybe drop. So it's like still ambiguous what kind of substance they are in that sense. But what's impossible surface tension i think yeah right so bubble floating and it's just floating in the air my understanding is because again i don't know that much about science but what i understand is atmospheric pressure inside and outside the bubble is behaving in such a way that the liquid holds in a circle so the inside pressure is pushing against all the liquid edges but the outside mm -hmm. pressure is holding the liquid there too. So the bubble is able to flow. Yeah. That is how I understand science. I think that is a surface tension thing as well. And like, please don't comment in the sections that that's not how it works. Cause it's probably not, you're right. But I, that's how it, it's a working understanding that is plausible for the sixth grade level of science I have. Um, but when a bubble hits a wall, and then like the bottom of the bubble sort of like pops and then it's just the top half and you have like a little dome bubble on the wall. You know what I mean? That's weird because the surface tension changed and something popped, but it still was able to hold together. I'm able to let that slide with my understanding of science, just as I am a floating bubble. What doesn't make sense is I can put my finger in and then through the bubble, touch the wall and it doesn't pop. Or you can like drop a penny into a bubble and somehow it just like absorbs it and is like, it's fine. Like you burst me, but I immediately retained my shape. How? How? That's not how surface tension works. So bubbles don't make sense. Okay, bubbles don't make sense. Buses don't make sense. Two more. Uh, so the other, the other, yeah, the biggest ones are um, climate change. And things like cancer and just basically just the problem of evil, because okay. if we're, we're getting a little philosophical up in here. Well, but if it's a variety hour, if you are wondering why, because if we live in a simulation, you have to ask why, like, why would they simulate this and why in the simulation would they give us things like climate change or whatnot? Well, to see how we solve them. And if we do effectively solve them, then they know how to do it on their world in the same way that an engineer creates a simulation of cars on a highway to figure out the most expedient lane composure and like turns at certain speeds. And like the cars themselves aren't being controlled by the engineer and have a free will and like sometimes get in accidents and sometimes just like don't but the engineer is not controlling that the cars are completely the program is running itself and it's not like telling the cars how to run that's not how programs work and with the rise of how insane technology is getting in our world it is very reasonable to, be to believe that we could have a very realistic simulation and then people would be like okay so like did they just in the simulation code in things like religion or like stuff like that well, what is any computer program designed to do if not absorb data and then try to give an explanation for it? And what is religion if not 
an observance of the data, and then a this is the explanation we have for the data we were presented. And yeah. well, that's also kind of what science is supposed to be too, right? Yeah. So so it's so, so it's just a any any system of explanation or system of like trying to understand that you would say could be a part of the the simulation processes running out their normal execution. Right. And and that doesn't mean our lives would be meaningless either cuz all it would mean is we are helping another society figure out how to solve these problems and our simulation is actually aiding people so of course we should play out our part. I think it's bold to assume that the the highly advanced society that put us all in simulations can't understand how to fix climate change on their own. Well, okay. But I I mean climate change is one of a million like maybe it's maybe it is cancer, maybe it is like who knows, but it's like they're just like here are problems. How does how do these simulations that we run solve them and do they find a solution and then once they do, we can use it. And then because simulations just like the traffic one, you could click and scroll to the end, they're not watching it happen in real time they're able to just like see the beginning and the end of it all so they're able to get their answer right away and we are just the program that is just running it and eventually we'll just either restart or we'll just get turned off um now do i believe anything that i've said is true i mean I what I that's not what I'm I'm not saying I do. What I am saying is your crazy uncle who is like it's all a simulation is maybe not as crazy as you think and maybe you should just talk to him and when you're like, "Oh, yeah, Uncle Ralph is getting he's off his right. He's just like a crazy goof." Just think about buses. And be like, but like, at least he has an answer for buses. I mean, we have to go back to the original simulation story. The Matrix, in which the machines weren't really trying to get any easy answers out of humans at all. They just really, they, we were, humans are batteries. So I think assuming that our, our simulation overlords are using us to benefit I mean, using our like cognitive knowledge or like society to benefit themselves in any way other than just simple like powering of your toaster is a lot to assume. Yes. Oh, well, 100 percent. But is it any more assumption than any other posited uh, claim for why we're here? Is it does it does it really require more faith or more assumption? Interesting. That's an interesting opinion. I I think that's something to mull over a little bit longer. I uh, I agree. Again, don't at me and don't be like Tom thinks we're living in a simulation. That is not what I said. I what I'm saying is I haven't closed the door on that. Uh, do you have a Zach's reacts or a Tom bomb at all? Um. I actually think I do. I think okay. I do. I actually don't. I got nothing for you. Oh, I mean, okay. What's your what's your reaction to my little theory? I mean, my reaction. We we would like to start a new segment of the show called Zach Reacts, in which Tom either shows me or tells me th- something, 
and I uh, have to just give a basic gut reaction to whether or not I agree or approve or affirm whatever Tom is saying. And what I would like to say with the big simulation, you give me a lot of time uh-huh. to mull this over, a lot of uh, reasoning. And my my simple reaction is, huh, now that's something to think about. And that's my Zach react. I res- Consider that Zach reacted. Perfect. I have I have one more. I do actually. I just found the thing I was going to do. Okay. Is this a new Zach? Another Zach react? Uh, or it's, I think it's a Tom bomb. I think we need to delineate Tom what bomb. the difference between the two is. Okay. But so a Zach reacts is a thing in which Tom shows me Zach something and gets my reaction to it. A Tom bomb is a pitch for a movie show or other intellectual property in which Tom believes could theoretically work. And I have to decide whether or not it does. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Here's my, here's my pitch. Have you seen the incredible movie, how to steal a million dollars with my good friend, Audrey Hepburn? Okay. No, I have not seen that film. I like, I like Audrey Hepburn a lot, but I've not seen that one. So in the film, just so you're aware, in the film, How to Steal a Million, just to catch you up to speed so you can react to this appropriately. I assume that they tell you how to steal a million dollars. So, yeah, there's a there's a painting. Audrey Hepburn's dad, played by Peter O'Toole. Wait a second. Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn have to be around the same age. I'm just telling I have you. To, I have to believe that. Wait, sorry. Okay. No, no, no. You're, you're correct. Peter O'Toole plays somebody different. Charles Bonnet plays her dad. Okay, I don't know who that is. Okay. So Charles, so Audrey Hepburn's father is an art forger. He just forges masterpieces. And then he also has an outstanding art collection. Um, So then he will forge pieces in his collection and then hang the forgeries on the wall and then sell them to guests. You tracking? It's like Hugh Griffith is the actor who plays um, Audrey Hepburn's father. Ah. Okay. Yes. I do not know. Apparently, he's been in a couple things I've seen. I cannot place him, though. Okay. All right. So he is an art forger, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Run, run me through it one more time. Okay. So he is, he's, a, he's a prominent art collector, and everybody okay. knows his art collection is, like, incredible. But he also is very good at art, so he forges art that is already in his collection, and then he hangs up his forgery and then sells it to guests so then they think they have the original but he actually still maintains the original in his possession i mean it's it's a it's a clever con if you're it's a little grip yeah if you're if you're good at if you're good enough at painting um and then late one night uh somebody comes in to steal uh van gogh or van gogh depending on where you are regionally located from her father's collection um and this individual is stopped by Audrey Hepburn and then Audrey Hepburn explains sort of the grift of the situation. And then Audrey Hepburn and this man go to the museum and steal a million dollar sculpture together. And that is how you steal a million. And it's very clever. It's a really, it's actually one of the better heist movies I've ever seen. Gotcha. It's directed by William Wyler, who um, 
won multiple Best Director Oscars, um, including one for uh, Ben-Hur. So um, definitely. Also, he did Roman Holiday, um, which is another one of it's a one of the first Audrey Hepburn movies. It's so. uh, it's really so How to Steal a Million is really worth your time because it's it's like comedic because both the guy coming in to steal the Van Gogh and Audrey Hepburn convince the other person that they're both there to steal the painting. Uh, like he mm-hmm. doesn't realize that he's talking to the painter's daughter and they're like both there. But then Audrey Hepburn's like, no, like there's a bigger take at the museum. And she's trying to just get him not steal the painting. And then like, they're both playing each other as if they're both like, established cons that are like very good at what they do but both of them it would be the first time either of them have stole anything so then they go into this museum to steal this sculpture that's like high security and they're both pretending like they're pro cons but like it's the first time either of them are doing it it's very yeah. it's very funny it's very great yeah it's a cool sort of screwball comedy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i get you um here's here's the updated twist though and again okay. you're your reaction is maybe going to be because you haven't seen the film, you won't understand yeah. the importance of my twist. I'm going to be a, maybe a little bit hindered by that. But we we remake it. Okay. And the key difference is you do a gender flip because in the original, Audrey Hepburn is sort of like the helpless lady and like the the man is like clearly the like more collected and more able to like fight and con, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 yeah, it was made in sixties at the latest. Yeah. Mid sixties. Um, so you do a gender flip and you have somebody like Daniel Radcliffe or Elijah Wood or somebody in that vein play this helpless sort of a mousier, Maybe neurotic. Yeah. Guy. He's he's kind of a helpless, like he's in too deep situation, just like trying to con this con into thinking that he's a con. And then the lady is. I mean, I want to say a Gal Gadot type, but not Gal Gadot. You want someone with a little bit more charisma than Gal Gadot? Yeah, but somebody who's like can like pull off fighting and pull maybe like Kristen Wiig, but like pull off fighting and be charismatic and like I feel like Kristen Wiig might be a bit older than what you're shooting for. Yeah. But basically I feel like Elijah Wood definitely is. Daniel Radcliffe is maybe just on the outer edge of that. Yeah. Um and like she is the competent, suave, charismatic sort of like person who like has to get the mail to hold his like like pull yourself together we've got to like pull off this heist i thought you said you were good at con like we gotta and like she's kind of like this badass and it is comedic it is like a great heist film because we love a good heist i love a good heist i love when a bunch of famous people get together and commit crimes yeah in in movies specifically not in real life but in movies, I love watching like that's I love the oceans of movies. I love when famous people get together and do crimes. Inside Man. There's a lot of real good heist movies. Yeah. Um, so it's it's another heist movie that we have the blueprint for because it's a very clever 
you should you should in the next week watch uh how to steal a million and then next week you can be like it's actually really clever and a great blueprint for success i'll have to take a look at it um and i think gender swapping it only heightens the comedy of it because the sculpture that they are heisting was sculpted by in the original by audrey hepburn's dad yeah and it was based on and modeled after audrey hepburn so when he steals it and looks at it he's like this is like vaguely similar to you and like he's like trying to figure it out but if it's a man you could have fun little like michelangelo's david jokes yeah i wouldn't i will not say this is a bomb okay because this seems like this seems like it could theoretically work again i don't i have not seen the films the original source material so i cannot like hey how about like a jack quaid perfect as like your main guy perfect i think jack quaid really fits that sort of mold and then maybe someone similar age but a bit more confident female lead for for that yeah yeah, again, not a bomb as yet. Uh, an actual, I will do a summary, summary judgment of not a bomb right now. Uh, but I will appeal this case to the, the movie court and I will come back with an updated verdict. Yes. Upon the next episode. Next episode, you have to, yes, give us a final verdict. All right. That, I think, does it for us here at the Fool's Gold Variety Hour. Thanks for listening. Um, we don't have a Patreon. We probably don't have social media yet, even when we th- put this out. So uh, subscribe to the show. Stay tuned. Hopefully we'll have stuff like that maybe further on down the road. Yeah. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.